Let me give a shout to Miracle Camp. Gotta love Miracle Camp. Um, I, I'll never, I mean, I was in high school, so that takes a couple years back um, to when I was first there, because I'll never forget the gym, because the gym has these arching wood beams in them, and I'll never forget this junior high girl, she just smoked her head on one of those beams in a game we were playing. I mean, terminology. She hit her head really hard, just making sure you all follow me. She smoked a beam? I mean, Okay. Anyway, got to stay with some of y'all. Um, but I remember that back in high school, and then I remember Jenny and I, my mom and dad, and Colin as a baby up there when I was speaking at one of the camps. Uh, I remember probably, I don't know, 15 years straight of two or three uh, winter retreats with the kids uh, with the youth group. I mean, just so many great memories. And so I was cool to sort of look back and see who all stood that have been up there uh, to Miracle Camp. So very excited about having Miracle Camp uh, and, and supporting you guys with our missions, because uh, that's, that's one of the things we're about. Um, thank you for your prayers. Um, my knee is, 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 I guess it's okay. I don't know. They don't tell you enough. It's still swollen. It hurts. Will that pain be your guide? Well, I'd, I'd like to think I'm a tough guy, so how much pain do you endure, right? So I don't know. Um, I'm trying to deal with that. But yesterday then, um, Jenny, I got a phone. Jenny wasn't feeling good. She's had a sinus infection all week, so she's been sort of out of it. Uh, medicated, all that kind of stuff, not feeling good. And stomach was hurting really bad yesterday morning. So her mother-in-law was in town. She just stopped in to be with Jenny. I took the boys. We went to Toledo. I said, well, you stay home. You're not feeling good. I can drive. So anyway, I get a phone call in Toledo. Um, she's at the hospital going through all kinds of test procedures. She's having an emergency apodectomy. So she had her appendix taken out yesterday afternoon, so we got back, and um, yeah, so that's been the thrill of our ride here for the last 24, 40 hours. Um, God is still God. God's still in charge. God is still good, and uh, she's doing well, so thank you for your prayers. Uh, I was up there with her this morning. She's out here at Fulton County. She'll come home this afternoon sometime. Uh, and the boys, by the way, um, Dan, Julian, some of you might want to check on Children's Church. I think Colin was supposed to help this morning, so you might want to double-check that. Um, make sure they got enough help back there. Um, the boys are having church with Jenny at the hospital this morning. So, um, Hey, we've been retelling some great stories over the past few weeks from the Bible. Uh, I hope you're enjoying that mini-series, uh, The Bible on TV. It has been really good. It, but again, I want to throw this out there as a forewarning to all of you. It's not going to be word for word from the Bible. And you're going to watch some things and you're going to say, Hey, I don't think so. I don't think that's the way it happened. Matter of fact, I, I don't know what's going to be on tonight, but I've been reading along in the book. And so tonight, um, you're going to probably see Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And that story, I'm just going to throw the, uh, what do they call that, the spoiler? Okay, here's the spoiler for tonight. I think if they show Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're going to get oil tossed on them and lit on fire. I don't know if they're going to actually show that part, but instead of being thrown into a fiery furnace, as the scripture says, the, the TV show will probably portray them as not being put into a furnace, okay? So that's the spoiler for tonight. They may or may not show that, but that's in the book. Um, but we know in the Bible that it's the furnace. So I, I want to remind you that as they made this movie, it wasn't to be as factual as possible and theologically correct as possible, but what they want to do is take the stories from the Bible and show the underlying theme that goes all through the Bible, how to trust in God. And they wanted to present that, bless you, and they wanted to present that to 
America to the world and get people back into the Bible to read the Bible. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you have actually picked up your Bible more in the last two or three weeks to say, hey, is that really in there? And you actually opened up to read a little bit more to do that. If you haven't, you've talked about it, maybe it's been a uh, topic at work, crack open the Bibles, read more and say, well, I thought when Samson and Delilah, or I thought when David and Saul, go read it. Go read it, okay? Because my, my one fear is that people take this mini-series and say, well, let's rewind and see what really happened. No, don't rewind the TV show, and don't pick up the novel. Pick up the factual book and get it word for word. Uh, the mini-series has been great in giving us a visual and giving us inspiration to get into the word. Uh, so that's sort of, we've been connecting with that. Uh, so let me give you a quick rehash of where we've been and what's going on. Last week we left off with the walls of Jericho falling. Remember that? that every, everything was falling, falling apart, except where Rahab's house was at. And uh, in time, as we fast forward, God's people, it's amazing how they, they were so on fire for God, conquering cities and armies. But in time, God's people fell away from God, and used, uh, God had to use various things to grab their attention. Uh, he, whether it's drought, whether it's another uh, enemy army, God used what he had to use to get his kids' attention to say, hey, I'm still here, I'm still God, you need to come back to me. Parents, how many times have you had to use some kind of, I don't know, special tool, method, means to get your kids to listen again? Okay, well, that's no longer working, so what do I do now to get my kids' attention? Uh, I think I've shared with you many before that when I had chores around the house growing up, uh, dust and clean, you know, we all had chores, Saturday morning chores, and um, to get our allowance. Well, mom knew that I wasn't doing my chores well. I was not dusting the way I needed to dust. So she took my allowance and she hid it around the house, and as I actually picked up magazines to dust on the coffee table, I would find 10 cents or 5 cents. I'd find my allowance spread out through the house. See, she had to get my attention because I was slipping, okay? So in the same way, God was sort of doing that, but obviously in a more drastic way, okay? And this vicious cycle in history begins. Repeat after me. Broken covenant. People were just, God had a covenant with his people and they were just breaking it, okay? Repeat after me. God punishes break the covenant, God's going to punish. Cries for help. One more time. Cries for help. That's, thank you. Shout it out. Um, cries for help. That's the next thing. Okay, so you break that covenant with God. God's going to punish. What do we do? We're crying for help now because we're hurting. Repeat after me. God delivers. You cry for help, then God delivers. And then there is peace. Unfortunately, then there's sin. <laughs> And it gets all repeated again. And as you read through the Old Testament, that's what happens. And along comes a new story, the story of Judges to bring people back to God. And you saw uh, probably last week, one of the more famous of the Judges, because there was quite a few, was Samson. We're always intrigued by strength and power, right? So they use that, you know, obviously to grab our attention. Um, the Philistines become more pressing to the Israelites, and the people become enslaved once again. And Samson's story ends, and along comes the people's cry for a king. We want a king now, okay? People want a king because, hey, all the surrounding nations have a king. And it isn't right that, well, we've got God, okay, but we can't see God. So how about if we have a king, like all the other nations? And then people will look at us and say, look at their king. That's what they wanted. 
But Samuel goes to God and says, God, do you hear them? This isn't right. And God goes, I know this isn't right. Paraphrasing, by the way. Okay? But I'm going to go ahead and give them a king. I, I know that they need me, and they're crying for a king. They, they should be crying for me. I'm going to give them what they want. But I want to let you know this. Because they're crying for this king, they're going to get what they want, and they're not going to like it. God warns them, but it falls on deaf ears and the people don't care. So God answers their prayers, although it's going to bring greater pain. It's sort of like our children, maybe. Again, parents, think back to when your kids were asking for something. Can I have this? Please, 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 can I have this? Can I have this? Please, 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 Right? How many times have you heard that, parents? Like, no, no, no. And you're like, all right, and you give in, okay? And you give in, even though as a parent you know that you're spoiling your kid or you're giving your kid something that's not good for them. Oh, okay, have the 10-piece nuggets and fries and a large Coke. Is that really healthy for our kids? No, it's not. But we do it anyway. We sort of join them, right? Except we get the diet drink because that's better. Okay. Um, but we give the kids what's not good for them, appeasing the child, but knowing in the end that the, the child's going to end up paying for that eventually in one way or another. Now, here's the deal. We know that God isn't weak, or that God doesn't just give in, God allows things to happen so we learn from them. So a heavenly father looks down on his children and says, I know what you're asking for, and I'm not giving in. I'm going to give you this, and you're going to learn from it. And that's what happens. Saul becomes king. He's anointed by God. But this isn't God's desire. And in time, Saul, being the man that he is, disobeys. We all disobey, right? And he becomes the kind of king that God warned about. And along comes David, shepherd boy, giant slayer, right? Warrior, eventually king. But we also know the story of David contains the lowest times of his life. He was an adulterer, a murderer. So we see the best of times as a victorious king to the worst of times, but we see a man after God's heart. And eventually David's son Solomon becomes king, takes the takes the throne, the temple is built, the Ark of the Covenant has a, a permanent place, um, and uh, Solomon finds it, though, that it's impossible to follow God's laws, too. As human beings, we've discovered that when God put his law out there, it wasn't to say, you're going to be able to follow everyone, we're going to measure up to it and find out we can't measure up to it. We can't follow it. That's why we're in need of a Savior. The kings fail. Israel splits. There's a northern kingdom and there's a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is attacked by its enemies. Assyria and others uh, basically take over that northern kingdom. The southern kingdom is captured by Babylon and people are taken off uh, to Babylon. And during this time period, we discover that again, God is ignored. All these other false idols are worshipped and children are sacrificed. That's probably the craziest and grossest and most evil of all things to think that a culture would put their children on an, on a, on an altar and uh, sacrifice them. But God's not absent. He sends prophets to these people to tell them that God is still looking out for you and warns the people and gives hope to the people about a future and a future king. Prophets like Jeremiah warn the people. Unfortunately, the people in these kings don't like the prophets. We don't like what you're saying, prophet. We don't like it that you're saying that we're sinners, that we've got to stop doing this. So the people refuse to listen and uh, they continue to make bad choices. They beat 
they imprison these prophets, they isolate these prophets. These prophets are very lonely people. I want you to think about this, if that's true today. Does the world still want to hear the truth today? Do you think the world really wants to know that Jesus Christ is the answer? Just ask Fox, ask ABC, ask NBC, CBS, ask any major network. Hey, we want to put a commercial on TV that has, says, look up John 3.16. We have, we have money to back up that commercial, and we'd like to put that on there. Do you think the world wants to hear about John 3.16? No. And none of those major networks want you to hear about it. So they will deny the people who try to put those commercials on the opportunity to spread the word. It's sad. That's the way it is. That happened at the Super Bowl this past year. If you didn't know, it was in USA Today how that commercial got rejected. What what did we get? The beer commercials, the women dressed sleazily commercials, all the provocative junk that was on there. And by the way, let's eat some Doritos too. Okay, there's, there was a lot of funny commercials, but when it came to truth, did we get it? No, because the world doesn't want to hear the truth. What we read in biblical times is still evident today. We need to know that. We need to know that. Okay, so during this time, uh, from Noah, think about this, from Noah to this point, you'd think that as man, we would figure out that sin enslaves us, that God frees us, And he gives us hope and direction, but again, the people reject God and become enslaved, which is going to take us to basically to the the point in time of the sermon today where I want you to get focused in on. So if you would, open up your Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. It's in the Old Testament, okay? Got to get past Psalms and Proverbs. If you can find Psalms in your Bible, then you're in the right direction. Keep going a little bit beyond that to the book of Daniel. Book of Daniel. While you're turning there, I want to rewind just a few years ago, not back thousands of years ago like we've been talking scripturally, but back to the 1940s. Nin- May 1940, Allied French and British forces had been uh, badly defeated by Germany in the Battle of France. And around 350,000 men, including the entire British army, was basically backed up against the sea uh, at the port of Dunkirk, the coast of France trapped there is basically what they were. They were sitting ducks. Their days were numbered, and they were basically going to be wiped out at any moment. 350,000 men and nowhere to go. Far too many to evacuate by sea. The Germans were certain to press on. Matter of fact, German planes only had to bomb the troops from the sky, and this would be done. And, uh, but fortunately, the British commander at Dunkirk issued a cryptic three-word message to the people of England. These are the three words. But if not. Repeat after me. But if not. Look at the person next to you and say, but if not. Strange three words, huh? You have 350,000 men pinned. The German planes are going to drop bombs and basically annihilate the army. And the British commander Dunkirk sends out Three words, but if not. You know where he got that from? The book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, reference to the three Hebrews in the book of Daniel, who refused to bow to King Nebuchadnezzar's image, saying, the God we serve is able to save us, but if not, 
we still will not bow. Isn't that amazing? You think about that. We may have all these bombs drop on us and kill us. If our God's able to deliver us and save us, but if not, we're still not surrendering. It's an crazy and amazing thing. A message of courage and defiance against the most impossible odds. And the king of England issued a call prayer and a call for help. The weather forecast changed, and for the next 10 days, uh, the German planes were grounded due to fog and other cloudy issues. And uh, soon nearly 800 fishing boats, yachts, and uh, merchant vessels joined the Navy to ferry out all 350,000 men to safety. Incredible thing. To this day, it's called the miracle at Dunkirk. Turned out certain annihilation had a reason of hope. Apparent victims lived to fight another day and eventually emerged victorious. Great story, right? But it's a story that still defines and inspires uh, the British nation today as many of the stories in the Bible inspire us. The same kind of stories. And from the Bibles where we find light for who we are and guidance for our steps as we move forward in life. Um, so today, as we go into the book of Daniel, you think about that three-word cable from the beaches of Dunkirk. It's the same story in the nation of Israel. It was reduced to nothing, to rubble, to victimhood. Three young men stood up and said, but if not, but if not. Here's the uh, first point I want you, as before we jump into the scripture here, um, we're going to talk about going from being victims to victorious. Okay? If you look on your bulletin, I think it was, says what? Victim to victory? Is that what it says on there? Okay? Three points today. Okay? Three points. Here's the first one. We know we can be victorious because there is a God in heaven. Tell the person next to you, there is a God in heaven. Absolutely. You know, you think about this. The book of Daniel is named for the main figure in the story. Uh, many, one of the many exiles that was taken out of uh, Jerusalem, conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar, and the kingdom of Judah is ended by the nation of Babylon. And all these people that were trailed hundreds of miles into a new land. And he was probably more than 500 miles from home. Among people who didn't know God, didn't worship God. I don't know if any of you have ever gone on a trip overseas where people aren't speaking the same language. They don't know your favorite show. They don't know your favorite book. They, you're just sitting there going, I wish they understood how I felt. I, I wish I could communicate with them. I wish they believed what I believe. Just this is where Daniel is, only obviously a much dire situation. Okay. We know this about Daniel. He became the advisor of the king who tried to make victims uh, of his people. We're going to show a clip. Dan, are we ready to show that clip? We're going to show a brief clip um, here, and um, this is Daniel interpreting the Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It's a very part of dramatic uh, story that takes place in the book of Daniel, chapter 2. matter of fact, you can get to Daniel chapter 2 if you want. And again, made for Hollywood, right? So, Dan, let's go ahead and show that clip now. Daniel had become uh, one of Nebuchadnezzar's many court advisors. And one day the king has his dream and, and uh, no one in his court can explain it. So he issues this order basically to kill all of the court advisors. But Daniel asks God for help. God answers his prayer, gives him his vision, and he interprets the dream as you see there and as we read in Scripture. But Daniel told uh, Arioch, the king's assassin, that he could interpret the dream. So if you look in Daniel chapter 2 with me, 
We'll start in verse 25. Daniel chapter 2, verse 25. Ariok quickly took Daniel to the king. And he said this, I have found one of the captives from Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belshazzar, because you have to understand, when the king took all these people out of Israel, he renamed all these people and gave them false gods' names, different names that uh, represented his land and country to get rid of their, uh, their names. He said, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Daniel replied, there are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. Now that's much the same scene in the video, except for uh, in the clip, uh, it was summarized Daniel's wording. He said this, he said, there is a God in heaven who reveals the mysteries, and he replaced it with this phrase, but my God can. Okay, so that's the phrase he used there. See, here's the deal. There is a God in heaven who can reveal mysteries. Because of that truth, here's the thing. You and I don't need to be a victim anymore. You don't need to be a victim anymore. Whatever you're going through, you do not need to be a victim. You don't need to resign yourself to current circumstances and saying, do you know what's going on in my life right now? Do you know what's happening right now? You don't have to settle for the status quo any more than Daniel did. Daniel was about ready to lose his life. He said, but there's a God in heaven who can reveal mysteries. My God can answer this issue here. He faced a royal decree, a king... You know, had his, had his contract on his life, but he said this, there's a God in heaven. You may feel like your situation today is impossible, but there's a God in heaven. You may be burdened by sin, you may be burdened by sickness, but there's a God in heaven. You may see no way to improve your, your dead-end marriage, your dead-end job, your, your dead-end life, but there's a God in heaven. We need to cling to that truth. That's the first thing we need to know to be victorious in our life is that there is a God in heaven. And, and I'll tell you, I, you know, out of the blue this past week, Clay asked me, hey, Dad, uh, didn't you say that God's better than having a genie and three wishes? I don't remember saying that, but somewhere, I guess, in time, maybe there was a commercial show or somebody said something about Aladdin and having three wishes and a genie, and I said, Clay, it's so much better to have God. I I don't know when we ever discussed that, but I was like, yeah, I'm sure we talked about that. But that led to this discussion then about if you had a genie and three wishes, what would you wish for? It's like, why would you do that? We have a God in heaven. Mightier than any, supposedly if there could be a genie, okay, that could give you three wishes. There's a God in heaven that reveals truth and knows truth. What a discussion we had. It was fun. Um, There is a God in heaven that reveals these things. Able to redeem us of our past able to give us hope for our future, to give us boldness and confidence, is, and that's what we need. Here's the second thing, okay? Repeat after me. God is able to deliver. One more time, say it with boldness and conviction. God is able to deliver. That's the way we need to say it, my family. That's the way we need to say it. Turn to Daniel chapter 3 with me. This chapter tells a memorable story of a golden image that the king had made mammoth in size, standing 90 feet tall. You remember in a dream, the head was made of gold and 
And that represented King Nebuchadnezzar. He goes, ah, we're going to make the whole thing gold. Uh, God's kingdom ain't going to smash me, okay? So we'll just make it solid gold. And he issued a command that everyone in the kingdom would bow to this image, and everybody did, except for three Jews whose Babylonian names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's look at Daniel chapter 3. I believe it's starting in verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage. Am I there? Are you there? Is that right? All right, let's read on. Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage order that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him because you see what happened. Everybody bowed except those three young men. Okay? When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I set up? I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I made. And when you hear the sound of the musical instruments, but if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what god is going to be able to rescue you my power. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. If, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He's able to deliver us. He'll rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, but if not, right? we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we'll never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men in the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, throw them into the blazing furnace. They tied them up, they threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. The strongest men threw them in. They died on the spot. The three young men are in the fire now. You ever sort of feel that way? I mean, not, okay, not that hot of a fire. But have you ever felt like maybe these three young men where you're sort of maybe saying, okay, I, I'm a child of God, okay? I believe in God, but I've got some difficult choices to make. Either I give in and do what these choices are tempting me to do, or I stand up for God. Either I bow or I stand. We've all been there, haven't we? Difficult choices in life. We do the right thing or we, or we get away with not doing the right thing. We compromise, right? We can be victorious just as those three young men were. You know why? Because our God is able to deliver our God is able to deliver. Say it with me. Our God is able to deliver. Let's do it again together. Our God is able to deliver. Absolutely. Let's see how this episode concludes. Look at verse 24. Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumps up in amazement and exclaims to his advisors, Hey, didn't we tie up three men and throw them in the furnace? Uh, yes, your majesty, we certainly did. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire and harm. And the fourth looks like a god. The Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Isn't that awesome? He's cursing God one minute, now he's calling out his name. Come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. The high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. 
Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. Didn't even smell like smoke. That is way cool. And I don't even have a biblical word for that. Okay? I, you know, I know they're not going to show that tonight. I doubt they're going to show that scene. But I would love to have seen those magicians and those advisors' faces when they came walking out and they were not even, no, no. I would love to see their faces. Nebuchadnezzar said this, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They defied the king's commands and they were willing to die. Did you hear that? They were willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. That's conviction. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race, nation, language, speaks a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they'll be torn limb from limb. Their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There's no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions. Wow. That's a great story. I know we've, we've preached on this sermon before, but I love these stories. Now this story, I want to make sure you hear this, okay? This story is not a guarantee against injury and pain in your life, okay? A lot of people are like, but I'm a Christian. I thought God would deliver me. Okay? You know, last night I laid in bed, okay? Got my leg propped up, laying there. Nobody next to me because my wife's in the hospital bed. And all this stuff started running through my head the way yesterday went. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, got an email saying that uh, Lynn's mother passed away. So on the way, you know, and then Jenny's doubled over, not feeling good. All right, let's get you a doctor. Then on the way to Toledo, I get a phone call. Oh, she's having surgery. Called up, you know, actually before that, called up Tom and Lynn and talked to them. And just let them know we're praying for them. And they get a phone call from a young lady in, in Hicksville, who's a FCA student leader, to tell me that one of their other student leaders, his house burned down yesterday or last, the night before. And then get a phone call from my mother and say, uh, Jenny's having surgery this afternoon. Okay. And uh, then I get home last night and um, from the hospital and I get an uh, email from my parents saying that my niece's mother-in-law who had cancer passed away yesterday too. It's like, golly. I mean, <laughs> rains of pores, right? For that phrase. And, uh, and I told Colin, because Colin was saying, man, that's a lot going on. I said, you know, as you get older, you know more people and you know more what's going on in life. It just seems the more people you know, the more pain you experience. And, but as I laid there last night, thinking about how that all unfolded yesterday, I laid there and said, you know what? I'm able to pray to you, God, right now. Because there's a God in heaven. There's a God who delivers. With confidence, I could lay there and pray. You know how many people can't do that? You know them. You might be one of them. In your life, when you're struggling with stuff, do you understand the truth that there is a God in heaven, that he is able to deliver? And in spite of your pain, your sickness, your unemployment, your health, whatever it may be, God is still on the throne. He still loves you. He's still there to deliver you and help you in these times. Let's remember the Psalm 3417. I think it's on the front of your bulletin. It says this, The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. The Lord hears his people and they call for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. He does. Maybe not in the timing we want. You know, when I talked with Tom yesterday, and it's like, I'm so sorry to hear about your mother-in-law passing away. And, and he goes, yeah, but she's in heaven. You know all the people she's meeting up with right now? She's ready. We see death as a tragedy sometimes, it's, you know, and it is. 
but we forget that death is also the next step into the presence of, of God and a reunion with the Savior. Let's remember this is this resolute faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said to the king, God's able to deliver us. But if not, we're still not going to serve you, king. We will stand bold because we've got a faithful God. Now, I, I suggest to you that it was, it was not at that moment, okay, that they became victors when they walked out of the fiery furnace because a lot of times we sit there and say, that's when they're victorious, right? We do that with sports, right? They're victorious when they win the championship. They're victorious when they get a, when a trophy or a medal or some kind of award. That's when they're victorious. Can I, can I say no to that? You're victorious way before that. Way before that. When you decided not to give up, you were victorious. When you gave your best effort, you were victorious. When you picked yourself up off the ground, you were victorious. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they weren't victorious when they stepped out of the fiery furnace. They were victorious when they stood before the king and said, but if not, that's when they were victorious. When their conviction became public and said, this is what I believe in and who I believe in. That's victory. That's victory. And anything that happens after that, it's another picture of victory, but it took place back when they first stood. I want you to think about this. We can have that same kind of confidence because our God is able to save and deliver us. He was able to save Noah and his family from the flood. He was able to save a whole nation of people from slavery in Egypt. He was able to save the kingdom of Israel from oppression by the Philistines, the Moabites, the Edomites. He's able to save and deliver you and I here now today in the same way. He's able to do all those things that we cannot do ourselves, more than we could ever imagine. So we can be victorious because there is a God in heaven. And as Daniel said, we can be victorious because our God is able to deliver. And here's the third and last thing. We can be, be victorious because, repeat after me, my God sent. Let's try it again. My God sent. Here's the deal. Years later, after Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon situation had been conquered by a new king, a new empire, Daniel's still there serving in the royal courts, but now there's a new king, Darius, okay? And these, Daniel's still praying to God three times a day. But these court officials, they resent Daniel. They don't like him because he has all this influence in the government, okay? Let's get the godly people out of government. That was their thought back then. You ever heard that before? Okay, anyway, uh, that was back in the day, right? Uh, so these officials plotted against Daniel and convinced the king that let's have a 30-day plan where nobody prays to anybody but you. Think about this, 30 days. Some of you might be thinking, I don't think I can go 30 days without praying. I don't think I can go one day without praying. Some people, and you, you might be saying, I, when's the last time I really had a good chat with God? Okay? Daniel is no way he's going to go one minute without praying. Okay? So Daniel prayed. The decree was signed. Nobody's praying. Daniel prays. They catch him. You might know the rest of the story. If not, you can look at Daniel chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den. The, the, uh, the situation was, if you got caught praying, you're going to get tossed in the lion's den. Daniel's in amongst these lions. These are ferocious animals, my friends, okay? This isn't the kind that, the, you know, the petting zoo, okay? This is the eating zoo, okay? You walk in, you are gone. Daniel was put into this lion's den. God shut the mouths of the lions. Who knows? He might have cuddled up with one of the lions and, man, that's a nice soft mane. I mean, that's a, that's a better pill than what I have at home. I don't know. But we know this, the lions didn't touch him, didn't harm him. 
in verse 22 of Daniel chapter 6, when King Darius goes running down to find out what's going on. Daniel, are you still alive? Are you still there? Daniel cries back in verse 22 and says this, My God sent his angel to shut the mouths of the lions. My God sent his angel. My God sent. Daniel was saved because God sent someone. You know what? We get to say the same thing. Because according to John 3.16, we know this, that God sent his son for us. Just like God sent his angels and people back in the Old Testament, God sent his son for us. We can be victorious over temptation today. Sin, you know why? Because my God sent Jesus Christ. We can be victorious over shame and guilt because, let's say it together, our God sent. Ready? Our God sent. We can be victorious over death and the devil because our God sent. Let's keep saying it, okay? We can be victorious over evil and filth in this world because our God sent. We can be victorious. Here's a, here's a simple prayer. Simple prayer that we can pray today. Lord, thank you for sending your son. Lord, I need your deliverance today. Then you fill in the blank with whatever you need deliverance from. Lord, I need your salvation from sin, from guilt, from death, from the devil. I turn to you, God. I claim your sacrifice, your son, Jesus Christ, as the payment on the cross for all the wrong things I've done. God, come into my life. Come into my heart. Take charge from this moment on. It's a simple prayer. Sometimes we call it the, the sinner's prayer, right? It's a simple prayer that we need to pray and ask God to help us. I want to I close with this verse. Worship team, why don't you guys come on up? Or Isaac, come on up. <laughs> All three of you, you, yourself, and you. I want to read Romans chapter 8, verse 35, 39 for you. I want you to listen to this. Can anything separate us from the love of God? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity in our life? How about if we're persecuted or we're hungry or we're in danger or we're threatened with death? Does that separate us from the love of God? Absolutely not, says Paul. No, despite all these things, we have overwhelming victory through Christ who loves us. Another translation, we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. And I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's law. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the power of love in Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us. So my friends, if you're feeling like a victim today, know that there's a God in heaven. And he will deliver you because he has sent his son. What an awesome thing. And when you accept that, you are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Repeat after me. Hyper Nikael. And you're like, what? I know, it's a Greek word, and I'm going to say it in a way hopefully you can repeat it. Let's try it. Hyper Nikael. 
Two words, hyper and nikeo, okay? Uh, and again, I'm trying to say it in a way that you can repeat that Greek word. Hyper means over, above, beyond. It depicts something that's way beyond measure, okay? How big was that fish that you caught? I can't even tell you how big the fish was. It was beyond measure. And okay, we have those kind of stories, right? It carries the idea of being superior. Something that's utmost, paramount, foremost, foremount, first rate, above all things, greater, higher, top notch. That's that word hyper. Everybody got that? Okay. Then nikeo is uh, from the Greek word where uh, we, Nikos was where uh, the Greek goddess Nike, the goddess of victory, okay? Uh, which means overcomer, a conqueror, a champion, a victor, master. Hyper nikeo, more than a conqueror. In Christ, you are hyper nikeo. That's what Paul says. Paul says, hey, I know you all worship goddess, that goddess called Nike. They all worshipped her back in the day. We still do. You know, swoosh, right? Okay. They all worshipped her because she was the goddess of victory. She brought victory to everybody. Paul says, hey, hey, in Christ, you are hyper Nikeo. You're bigger than, you're superior, greater than, more paramount, top-notch than the Nike goddess, than anything you could ever think of as a champion. That's you. You are victorious in Christ. You're not a victim. So lift your chin up. Pull your shoulders back. Praise God for the son that he sent because we have a God in heaven who is able to deliver us, send his son on the cross so that we could be hypernikeo, more than conquerors in Christ. Amen? Stand with me in victory, please. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome God. Thank you so much for the victory you bring in our lives. Lord, we all have pains, we all have sufferings, we all have sin, we all have struggle, we all have temptation. We all have things that bind us up. We all have fiery furnaces. We have lions that scare us. We have everything that can come our way to defeat us. But you gave us your son. Oh God of heaven, how mighty you are. That you're able to deliver us from anything, to send your son so that we can be more than victorious. Thank you, God. God, for anyone here today, that has never prayed that prayer that you said, that's never asked for your help, that's never asked for forgiveness, let them pray that prayer right now. A simple prayer of asking for forgiveness. A simple prayer of accepting your sacrifice on the cross. A simple prayer of asking for you to be the Lord of our life so that we can walk in victory. We pray that to you now, God. Lord, for my brothers and sisters here who are maybe having a rough week and a rough day, I get it, I know it. Been there, done that, God. We're still victorious. Help us to lift our chins today and throw back our shoulders to walk in victory in your name, in your name alone. And when we're having a hard time with conviction today, about making the right choice, let us make the right choice and do it in a way that honors you to be victorious in our choices. We love you, Lord, and we sing to you now as we close this time of worshiping you. In our name we pray.